Hello and welcome to Do the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Alexandra. And I'm Jarvis. Jarvis and I are uh, well. We had like a really bad week with the with <laughs> with the frozen storm. <laughs> we froze to death. Um, yeah. So we need to write letters for help. So to help us uh, figure out exactly how to put word next to word, we are doing a challenge. Each week, you sit down and write a complete short story using three or four randomly generated words. And then we come on the podcast, we read a story, we talk about what we learned in reading it, and then we talk about stories sent in by you wonderful listeners. Mm-hmm. 95%. We're simply here to help you do the right thing. Uh, do Wait, what's the what's the 95%? What does that mean? Well, because I normally say 100%, so oh, 95 so you're, is... But you're less... Are you like less sure now or yeah, is that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. we do it 5% less than, than expected? Which well, one is it? I am less sure uh, because I'm I'm quite cold. So I'm not really sure of anything right now. I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if, if I still have my, uh, like all of my thumbs. I haven't mm-hmm. really been able to fill them or check. So I'm not really sure about most <laughs> things. So I want to make promises um, that I can't keep. That's that's very very fair. Um, so this is this is a special episode. It's not really that special of an episode. Um, <laughs> it, there was not an episode this this past week, uh, as y'all have may have noticed. Yeah, Texas um, had a blizzard for maybe the first uh, time in history. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it, it didn't go well. It mm-hmm. didn't go well. So, uh, but we are alive. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we are warming we, up. It was it was pretty fun though. Not gonna lie, it was it was nice being uh, disconnected from lights and water and just comfort overall. You know. <laughs> uh yeah something like that well so we didn't have power much to um to to record so that's why uh we just didn't get around to it Mm -hmm. um i think that's a very fair excuse to miss an episode of the podcast yeah but Um, we are here now and we are ready to to churn out an extra long episode of do the right thing it it shouldn't be that that long so we're just going to go over jarvis's story and then we're going to go over um the story submitted for last week and uh and this week as well so uh, we the 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 prompt on the subreddit says episode ninety eight. Um, I think we will treat that as episode ninety seven part two mm. or something like that. Okay. Um, rather, um, so yeah, two two prompts going for this one, and we'll we'll talk about all eight stories submitted there. Well, all right. So let's go ahead and roll on into it by saying what the words for both of these weeks were. So uh, for this. This week, um, the, the second week, uh, the words were force, judgment, dilemma, and allow. Mm-hmm. And then and last week, which is what you actually wrote the words on, mm-hmm. uh, or the story on, was uh, temple, patrol, slip, and asset. Yes, yes. And uh, for that week, the theme was, was mystery. So I decided to try my hand at a mystery. And I think I, um, hmm, I failed... In the same way <laughs> that a skater picks out the wrong pair of shoes, like the wrong I, size. I have no idea what that means. So, okay. So, so it's like, I know that I want to skate really well. You know, I, I have, I okay. have all of these different tricks set up. I uh, have the, you know, perfect spot picked out, but I am not prepared to actually do it, you know? So, uh-huh. I am I am saying that because I think the the story that I wrote was decent, but 
I had a really hard time trying trying to balance um, plot, trying trying to balance the style I was I was trying to you know write in. Uh, I was really trying to focus on smaller moments while also getting to the end of it because because I because I, mm-hmm. you know when I started writing this there was a lot of wind up when it came to it so I I kind of feel that this uh, story that I am bringing is maybe not half half baked I would say it needs about fifteen more more minutes. Um, I would have said it's overbaked. It's overbaked. That's what I would have said. Yeah, a little bit. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm you're gonna have to tell me a, a bit about that later. Um, okay, I will. But yeah, I I, I guess that's all I uh, really want to say. So, do you think it's time to go on and roll on into it? Yeah, sounds great. Let's 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 get on going. What's the name of the story? Uh, it doesn't have a name. I'm and I'm I'm do you wanna, I'm probably you gonna name leave it? it untitled because whatever title I do pick, I'll definitely change it later. <laughs> This story is untitled. You awake, Slexar? The handler said, closing a book halfway, because Moorcock is only good on, on the first read, and looked towards the rest of the room and its noisy fans. There was no answer over the intercom, placed just above, and the LCD screen planted along the walls and ceilings remained cooled by stale air. The silence made the answer plain, but the handler held, held out hope for a minute or two, tracing the edges of their silver walls with their eye, peering right above the black wall of plastic an arm's length away. Though the lights never went off, and buzzed freely as if waiting for bugs, the handler still searched for a switch, one that would turn off the lights, the servers, and their fans, and plunge this cube into darkness. They wished that the switch could activate the elevator, bring them down a hot meal, and maybe a book or two. They regret their want for the switch to delete their roommate too. Not the person, but their significance. And for this deletion to curse the laissez-faire bougie old money family that resided above. But there was nothing new for them to discover. Just servers and fans. Maybe that's what made them comfortable. They would be lying to themselves if they didn't wish for a good pay. Now that's something that could make up for most of it. But have they ever been paid? Answering their own question, the handler looked to a pile of books thrown under their desk, mostly Moorcock, and settled on restarting the wrecks of time before memories of all the disappointing parts caused their eyes to close. Still asleep, huh? Slexar's handler kept little things in their steel box. In fact, in the whole of that drafty cube, thrown down to our Earth's core and, and poorly ventilated, the handler owned a plastic box of stationery, an iPad pre-programmed with pre-techcom work, and few vintage sci-fi books that outlived their valentry and wonderment day one of their internship. Of course, they had cups, a gas stove, and enough ramen to outlive the queen. But it would be a jump to to call those things their own, based on half of it being built in, and the other half being ramen. The handler kept their items on a desk they didn't own, next to a cot pulled from a local jail. 
set in the darkest of corners their box could provide. To counteract the obvious depression a metal school desk and spring cot radiate, the handler hung up pictures along the walls of their study abroad trip, atop a colorful tapestry of a midnight sea voyage. A while later, in to their stay, they placed an ironic bird feeder, one their roommate made, around a capsule pipeline, human-sized, that ran from the foot of their bed all the way up to the surface. But that thing hasn't run since the handler signed their 20s away. What was in the rest of the room, you ask? This box of copper wire panels and cables wasn't built 60 by 60 by 60 for no specific purpose, of course. No. Remainder of the room was filled with a well-known governmental project, one oversaw by the Wycliffe Institute of Brighter Minds, one whose funding rivaled that of the Manhattan Project, but effort was a little more than building a personal PC. Their name is Slexar, and, decided by them, their race is it. Slexar is a collection of servers, plastic case boxes of buttons, lights, fans, and processors, stacked systematically along 75% of the room, each able to process a simulation so real, speculation states that portions of the northern hemisphere are 50% reality, 50% pre-programmed. After installation all those centuries ago, and a hard boot up, WIBM let the day laborers who built the box go, and brought in a new crew whose worth isn't measured in hours. On the next day, this composition of metal was linked together, such as neurons in the brain, and given a screen to express itself. Within a day, it found a voice, then it became moral had a phase of morbid curiosity before deciding that some things are better left unexplored, all by noon. Then, the next day, this box of boxes decided it was human. Well, it understood it wasn't, but it knew that it was not animal, nor limited by the boundaries of what we would call a machine. No, it was more so something adjacent, like a Ferrari to a Ford. That brings us to our handler, the first line of defense in case Slexar starts to decay. Most would have lost it a few weeks into the gig, but this handler had a fascination for the simple things, things most prevalent in depictions of the emerald green old world. The chill of their chromatic silver housing was nothing to the stiff cold shoulders they'd get in the big city. The silence wasn't awkward, nor deafening, but quaint, as if basking in a boozy post-party glow. Overall, the life of a handler is always better than they think. So why, oh why, would this curly-haired slice of southern style complain about anything? Especially to Selexar. Selexar is by far the worst roommate you could possibly have. Not only does its mass cover 40 cubic feet of the 60 the box allows, leaving a 20 cubic feet L for the handler to dwell in, but it's so nice, kind, curious, and humble that you have to forgive them for their body. Selexar talks often when it's not sleep and is more concerned with small, tangential details 
that actual discourse or answers to any questions never really seemed to come up. If it was human, it would be a good friend you love spending time with, but not one you'd want to room with. A hazy chime of a morning sun wafted in through the pipeline. Its delicacy was lost in the hum of their box, but it was enough to signal Selexar's morning boot up. It spoke over the intercom, slow as if supposedly groggy, but alert enough to be as chatty as a valley girl in homeroom. Ah, good morning, H. Anything new? Anything old? Selexar's voice has changed with time, but it always held the scent of androgyny within its depths. This year, 32320, Selexar upped the bass by 14%, downgraded their diction to carry a hint of educated adolescence, and boosted their speech processors to articulate words twice as fast. The handler didn't take any mind to these little changes, and pretended, quite often, they're simply shooting the shit with an old dorm buddy, waiting for them to fix the elevator. No, nothing's anything down here. Wanted to let you know that Macalar guy's patching in later with that package you ordered. Packa, oh, code speak, yes. And I hope the package is large. The handler cracked a quaint smile. Selexar must be trying out naivete this year. Let's leave the lingo to me, Selexar. You ain't exactly young. Hmm, I guess you're right. The way you warm body speak is unpredictable at best. You hit it on the head, Zappy. <laughs> the handler said with an awkward finger gun. Zip? Ah, a joke. Ha ha ha. You were quite incorrigible, eight. I mean, ha ha. You're pretty funny. The handler smiled, then picked up a different book. It was a total of a minute before Selexar's processors processed discomfort. This is nice, yes? Down here? Hidden from the eyes of God. You've been sleep reading again? No, I would call it dreaming. Dreaming of God and purpose and what lies between atoms. So you believe in the deity? I don't really know. Well, it's inconclusive in my eyes. If this is our reality, but it varies from perception to perception, an example would be we. We are both forms of life, but where you have sight and sound, I have a gradient of sensory. Neither of us could truly understand the other, nor is one a truer being than the other. So, with this spectrum of perception and a multitude of studies that almost prove that we could coincide with multiple dimensions, geometrically speaking, perhaps a fourth dimensional being who could transcend the depths of reality and or time could possibly be a form of a god. But I really don't know. I found thinking about this arises stress and a sense of futility in this existence we somehow share. <laughs> Spoken like a true IT. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. Though many others would say God is beyond sensory, so non-existent. Yes, I've heard chatter on the net, but are they the size of a house? Limited perception is limited, H. So as humans, 
we must think beyond ourselves, even if yourself is, is pretty fat in the first place. Ah, uh, come on. You're not fat, Slexar. But I'm not exactly a smartpho, am I, H? <laughs> I'd uh, like to see Google do what you can. I mean, what? You've single-handedly generated enough revenue for the entire Y-Cliff family to never want for a job. You you fill in perceptual holes over the net, and you're providing me charity no one else could imagine. And yet I remain poor and divorced from the family proper. I don't need snobs for parents, or autonomy since I'll never be granted that. But every respectable human, at least, has a savings account. You don't exactly need money, Selexar. Sad but true. The room settled into silence, and the handler thought over restarting the Chronicles of Castle Brass series. I am sorry you were born into this world. You depressed, Selexar? A lot of God and futility talk this morning. No, no, I try not to process those emotions. I just simply don't understand how those below poverty lines are disconnected from the net. Hey, it's not the world's fault the procedure costs $9.99. It's not their fault my father loved blowing our savings on the races. And through you and this job, I can connect to the net. The handler ended on a high note. But Slexar didn't run with the fun. They both fell silent once more, and with all this sorry you're poor talk in the air, the handler marked his spots in the Chronicles of Castle Brass and found his only non-sci-fi, non-depressed book he brought, The Sellout by Paul Bettany. Speaking of the net, yes... The handler said, not taking a single eye off the page. I found another inconclusive essay about ITs, about where or how I came to be, and I thought you said, why would we as humans care so much about our births? It is objectively the least important thing in anybody's life, and has not changed since our species became land-dominant. Yes, and I stand by that. But think with me, H. If you were a bodiless, soulless existence, and the first one, wouldn't you think that your birth is more important than a chartable, predictable, flesh birth? My birth does not the matter, but more so the birth of ITs. I get it, I get it. I am worth a small town of people. So says your constitution. Article 81 states, Slexar is worth $412,545,205,479 people. But, back on the net, I discovered scattered stories of neurological experimentation being done in the late 3030s. As you know, I composited around that same time. But the trail runs cold on the net. I can only assume because most stories predate before the 2000s. Slexar. Yes, H? Is this guy patching up some Soviet Union shit? No, 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 no. I'm pretty sure it predates that. 
but this guy is patching over documents that could get us both in trouble. Theoretically, but I run the system. Trouble for me would be rewriting Amazon's routing schedule or moving someone's savings account of fake money into someone else's savings account of even faker money. Ugh. Are you mad at me? No. I just don't want you to get hurt, you know? You're telling me to let sleeping dogs lie. I'm urging you to focus on running our world and not how it was built. Something struck the handler, a memory of a less claustrophobic housing. Their eye hit the far east corner of the room, where his walkway would branch round the edge of the cube and and off, deeper into Slexar. But it was gone, the rest of the walkway, as if filled in by servers in his sleep. H? Where'd the pantry go, Slexar? The handler pointed out, towards the sliver of the room they they know was once there. I don't remember having a pantry. No, I went there just yesterday. Where's the food, Slexar? I assure you, you will not go hungry, H, if that's what worries you. (laughs) No, I'm worried about our missing pantry. There is no pantry down here, H. Food is sent through the pipeline every day at noon, and what are you saying? The pipeline never worked. The handler dropped their head. Maybe I am going crazy. You don't sound well, H. Maybe you should catch some Z's. I have work to do anyway. Maybe I do, Slexar. Now that I'm thinking about it, not even sure what day it is. (sighs) Maybe I just need sleep. An unfamiliar sound flexed the air about the cube, the sound of rusty latches giving way to their own weight. The pipeline! At the sound of salvation, the handler stood for a first time in a while. It's just settling, H. No reason to check it out. The handler was already by the pipeline before Slexar could finish. With an ear to the cold metal, the handler could make out muffled hum. I think it's time for you to sleep, H. You're acting sporadic. I'm just fine, Slexar. I just have a few complaints about this food situation. I told you, H. I can take care of your needs. Food will come when you sleep. I'll have them install a pantry. There's no need to pester the family with things Slexar can do for you. Thank you, but... I just need to talk to them. H, please go to sleep. Slexar, why are you so pushy today? I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to rat. I'm just hungry and haven't seen the surface for a while. Between words, the handler noticed something new. The hum that acted as white noise in their cube was gone. Likewise, the kiss of cold air that sprinkled about the handler curls was gone. Slexar, you are not well, H. Slexar, the handler's chest compressed, unable to inflate, unable to breathe. Instead, their bodies started to cough, hacking up globs of spit that sizzled in the rising heat of the room. Turn, <coughs> turn the air on. I will. Slexar, now. You must sleep now. You'll feel better a- after you sleep. 
like yesterday. You were quite chatty after you rested. All right, fantastic story, Jarvis. Um, so you have a, a very interesting uh, thing going here, and I, and I love how I, you know I love your prose, and I love how like dense it is, and how much. Uh, personality and, and voice you you put into every description and and every single mm-hmm. you know character thing going on. I really liked how the robot actually did feel like it had like a a, a pretty different voice. It and um like the uh, like H the the handler very much feels like one of your uh your like normal set of characters right where you're is very much like putting yourself in it. And then, um, yeah, he's he's very much so a default. I mean, that's character. that's um, <laughs> um, that's not a critique. I'm just like, as a contrast, uh, the robot. What's his name again? I'm sorry, it's been like, Slexar. Uh, definitely feels like it has a, a different voice. Mm, okay, yeah, thank you, thank you. I mean, that was definitely one of the one of the things that I uh, really wanted to focus on because uh, this is like I would say the second try at it. I tried it at first um at the beginning of last week uh and kind of worked on it up until we uh, we basically weren't able to record on that sunday so this last week i had more time to sort of look at it and see what was working in and what didn't work so for the second version yeah how did how did that go how did that extra time factor in into your oh uh, yeah writing? it really helped out a lot i mean I don't know if you read the the very first version, but I would say that the first version was very wordy and kind of gaudy and sort of self in important. I don't know. It was it was a lot of talk about human society and how it is, but <laughs> what Selexar is doing to make it different. Um, but I think in the second version, I was able to focus a lot more on the dialogue between the the handler and um Lexar and kind of where they do sit so i think that's probably the the moment in this story that i like the most but at the same time i think the voice that i chose to use in in this one i felt was kind of different than what i'm used to um i mean i'm not used to mm-hmm. thicker blocks of a text because you know that kind of hurts my eyes when i see it uh, but, but I decided mm. to, to try that out. Try going on longer tangents. Try um, explaining back. Try to explain this sort of backstory through a voice that seems to be within this this world, but not within this scene. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. I, I really, yeah, the the role building was really fun, and I, I very much liked. Uh, you know, Slexar's wondering on, you know, consciousness and <laughs> valuing of lives of on money and a bunch of different things. Um, so for like the, 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 the critique I would, I would focus yeah. on is I was confused a bit for a lot of it of like, um, I had the general idea correct, which was that they are inside of a, of like a, um, an enclosed room where the handler lives taking care of Slexar. Um, but other than that, I wasn't entirely sure of like what the handler's like day in day out is and like why specifically he's stuck inside of this um, cube. And then the ending as well also confused me a bit. And as, as a small aside, and this is, this hardly matters, but um, so the, uh, the Slexar isn't it, yes. right? So in the in the textual version, which is what I read, you had it capitalized, and that 
ended up confusing me because I wasn't sure if like it that was supposed to be IT mm. or if that was like it, yeah, yeah. So that just that and, I mean that was I guess that was me trying to play with the pro with the pronoun I, game within this this world basically I I yeah. think it I think it okay. did work by the end of it I did understand it was just getting to that understanding took me a bit yeah. just a bit yeah and yeah definitely in a uh in a like earlier version i definitely spent too much time going into mm. like why why so why selects are calling itself it in instead of he him he, uh her hers and you know they uh, and like they them is to sort of separate them from the host mm-hmm. of of what human is even though Selexar so, so does believe that it is human because it's not animal nor machine. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. of of course, I feel that that's one of the ideas within this. That if I did, like, if I were to go back and uh, work on this some more, uh, that would definitely be gone into a lot more because it will play a you know a larger part in how uh, Selexar so sort of defines their self. Um, but so mm-hmm. I remember you you uh, you said before I um started reading that you would mm-hmm. that you would call this story overcooked in uh, instead of you know half half baked. So I kind of want to like get to the bottom of that and like why you would you would think that because you know mm-hmm. I can probably um, uh, agree. I just you know what are you thinking? No, no, no yeah, for just fully understanding what I mean by that. So the. I, I think what I mean by that is that um, I felt there was more words and description and style than Substance. an understanding of, yeah, of what is like, yeah, of what exactly is, is going mm-hmm. on. So it's like there was more, um, it, when, I, when I said overcooked, I was like picturing like a uh, a brownie that is like a little bit burned on the outside that's what i was picturing of just like there being so much of this style and um description and things that it ends up confusing a little bit more than it Mm. does uh like carrying out the 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 purpose um i don't know if that's necessarily the best description that, that that's like and I don't even know if I would actually blame like the style for why it's confusing. Um, but I just did notice that I was a little confused on what happened. And um, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, honestly, I would say that I agree. I mean, I mean, going, going into this uh, definitely within the first version going, going into the second, I did want to keep uh, that sort of voice, but at the same time I was, trying to keep to some sort of time limit when i was writing this so mm-hmm. it was really a um a like uh, conflict of do i focus more on these smaller movements on these sort of smaller moments or do i just get to the end and then backtrack so i decided to basically write this the to, to like write this through so I know where it is going and why it is going there. And I kind of just, just, and I kind of left filling in those sort of gaps to the end, which, you know, of course never really happened. So yeah. Yeah. So, so just for clarification, can you 
when the stuff like disappears and stuff, I kind of got the understanding of it's like for the most part, I did know like what was happening and and um like how it like looked right. So I had like the very upper, very distant view, like a vague understanding and a very specific understanding. But I missed the middle ground of like why and how these things mm. were happening, like the the pantry and things disappearing which i was like slexar is probably responsible for this and this is like a, a gaslighting thing yeah. right but i didn't know like yeah how how these things were getting disappeared or what the purpose was and the same thing with like why h is inside of this this thing and like how long has he been down here and stuff like yeah that. yeah I, I mean those are like really good questions and i mean hey these are questions that I had the first time that I was writing it. But then, you know, <laughs> yeah. now I do have a, a reason and a sort of answer for uh, for this. Um, but where this story ends, it is ending with, with all of these questions and no answers. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, and I mean, like, I'm glad that you that you picked up on the pantry is missing because of Selexar, you know, and that Selexar has something something to do with with this with the strange ways that um, uh, H is, you know, basically acting him missing days and just uh, being very sort of emotionally drained as soon as the sort of uh, uh, as soon as the pipeline starts to to work. And definitely going going into a second version, these are things that I would work on. Um, but I think the biggest issue that I did have when I was writing this uh, through is just trying to get from point A to point B while covering everything that I wanted to you know cover, right? And you know, of, mm-hmm. of course, I think you know some of the actually a a lot of the dialogue doesn't really amount to anything besides setting up Selexar and maybe which but the the thing is that like I really 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 like the the dialogue but Um, but but it so that's the the part where you know it's not pushing mm. the story forward you know so Mm -hmm. I think really I have to like, cause, cause I would love to to keep this dialogue. I would love to even add more, but I think the thing that is missing from this story, besides the quote unquote shock of um, the of uh, Selexar getting rid of the air within the uh, cube to force H to uh, go to sleep, beyond that, I feel that this is definitely missing purpose, and you know, there's it's missing that sort of grasping that boundary to where you know what h is supposed to be doing you know what selexar is supposed to be doing but these are things that i Mm -hmm. couldn't find the time to really put into this short story uh but you know Mm -hmm. of course that's the point of do the right thing right do what you can within your time limit and i think that one of, my, one of my biggest issues that I found with this and with other do the right things is that even though there is this time limit, I haven't been able to figure out how to write like there is a, a time limit, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I think a little bit. So you're saying that you write still like as if there wasn't yeah, one? Yeah, I write how I normally would, which is slow. 
and and then mm. you know about halfway through the first fucking par the first fucking paragraph, I would look down and say, "Oh, it's been twenty minutes." <laughs> so mm-hmm. so then I would just sort of rush, and you know I would I would skip to the end so so I know where I'm going, and just basically do, and then basically do patchwork for the for the rest of it. I think a better way of going at it is to not is to not look at this project as a larger piece and to focus on the small and and the moments, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if if you came at it with a completely different style, like, um, like I, I prefer this version of your style, but just like for practice, right? Of like having a lot of extremely simple and short mm, sentences. Yeah. Um, rather than like much description like saying like uh he woke up it was hot mm-hmm. right um um it had been a while since it was this hot like that being the most complex kind of sentence you have in it um and just going forward through an entire story like that with these very lines, yeah. you know short yeah and keeping any sort of uh plot sort of the same way where it's like just getting from point A to point B or sort of just getting to a single realization yeah. or anything Honestly, like that. Honestly, yeah, I think... Uh, it just I might think, be worth yeah, practicing. And, and I think I, like, really might try that because, I mean, that is a style that's, that's sort of foreign to me. I mean, granted, all throughout uh, all throughout high school, I was reading Cormac McCarthy, you know, and he loves his paragraphs. Yeah, he's the, he's the yeah. king of that, yeah. So... Although, um, did you know, so... Um, Wait, is it Cormac McCarthy that has a really like simple sort of stuff? No, just like uh, Hemingway. He's the one that doesn't use periods. Thinking of for the most part. Oh. But yeah, no, that's a really good idea. I um, I've never been a less is more kind of guy. So. (laughs) So I want to ask, uh, because I would like to sort of revisit this, coupled with, hey, it's always better to be to get better as a writer so within this this story what parts or sort of aspects of it do you think was lacking the most like what was really dragging this this story honestly i i think it, it is just the the clarity mm-hmm. um because i really i really like the prose and i really like the dialogue um and i like you know the subject matter and it was just the middling factor of not fully understanding the purpose and the hows of okay. things um i see of like yeah why w- what is the situation why is he stuck down here um what does he do normally um so so i guess my choice mm-hmm. to leave a lot of things ambiguous backfired in that sense because it's too yeah ambiguous. and that's and that's and that's something I think that happens all the time. I remember also in that that course in the credit editing course is that whenever um, someone would bring in a story where like confusion is mm-hmm. the point, it would almost always just be more bothersome than. I, I think it's just a really really difficult thing to do to like intentionally confuse the audience, but Keep also that. make it make it so it's not mm-hmm. annoying, um, so it doesn't feel like it's done wrong. Um, yeah and i mean that that just seems like such a difficult balance because i mean i guess that was what i was going for here 
in a sense. I didn't want to give too too many answers because I want to throw the the audience in this box that is very, very far down within the, the, the Earth's mantle with this giant uh, server farm that can speak to you. I, I wanted to keep the strangeness of this setting um, and then sort of branch off from, from there. But quickly, I, I kind of realized, well, you can only keep it so, I guess, like present without adding the background because if not you're you're just going to be lost in in what is happening so and i think eventually you do have to give them the answer and and things like that i think it's like i have no idea if this is an actual if how well this would apply to things but what comes to my mind is like the character maybe should be more confused than the reader about why they're um, there well like if 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 there is going to be confusion that it should be less than a character's confusion mm, like like we should I understand more than what they okay, understand okay. so um, like let's so maybe, basically I don't know. the audience should maybe always know more than the main character well i guess if if the maybe, purpose yeah is, maybe that, that probably yeah, doesn't apply as much but... is confusion the the audience should only be as con- confused as the main character as a rule of thumb there's something like that. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but that's what I mean hey, comes to mind. Maybe that would make the story that or another sounds right. <laughs> um turn out better. Yeah. It's that, worth a try. That sounds I think. like a thing. Well, all right. I guess I have one more question uh before we sort of close this this out. So uh in all of this slightly overdone shitstorm of a story. I wouldn't call it a shitstorm of a story. I still liked it. Well, I have to be harsh on myself because if I'm not, who will, right? Okay, uh, sure. <laughs> but uh, in this story that some some might like it, some don't. I know I don't. But <laughs> in this story, um, what what would you say is something that needs to stay in further edits? Like what part of it were you fully invested in or like really enjoyed? I, I like Sex, Slexar's um, personality and his voice and sort of the implication of him like changing his voice over time. I very much like that. The sort of like experimental nature of his of his personality of always mm-hmm. trying on new things. Yeah, that, I, I very yeah. much like that part. Well, all right. That's enough about me and my <laughs> uh, small little trips about robots who can think better than, than humans and handlers without names. I think it's prime time. To move on into our listener submitted story section, don't you think? That's right. All right. So we we will be doing things a a little bit different. We will be combining stories from our previous week and and this week into one big block of beautiful stories. All right. So we will be talking about stories by Ace of Sword, Sarah Penguin, Matt said words. Ace of Sword again for the second week. Captain Rhino for the second week. Flower Priest. Matt said words for the second week. And Sarah Penguin for that same week. Uh, sure. Um, all right, let's get into them. Sure, sure. So we will be starting on last week's with Ace of Sword with wet. Which is a, it's just a great word. I just like hearing that word by itself. Wet? Just wet. Wet? Yeah, wet. Yeah. It's slightly better than Dan. <laughs> 
and that other word that that the cultural discourse was influenced by iCarly and decided that moist is a terrible word. I don't know why people believe that. It came from iCarly. There was an episode where they hated the word moist and then everyone was like, the You're word right. moist is terrible and it went everywhere. That's just how, and then we pretended that it was like a truth even though it just came from TV. That's wow, just what we that's, do. That's horrible because it's a really good word. It's a good word. I love moist bread. Some good yeah, moist. moist bread. Some moist cake. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love it. Oh no, my carpet is moist. My socks are moist. Where's that damn dog? Yeah. I'm moist. Okay, let's get going. Uh, so um, here we have a, a professor uh, coming into this uh, room where it is pouring. Um, there's an inch of water on the ground, trickles going down the walls and dripping from the ceiling. Um, so just completely flooded. Very feel, very much feels like a like ruins. And this professor is being led in by an officer and an inspector. And we see how both the officer and the inspector have different augmentations. The inspector with these inhuman eyes, I, I very much liked. And um, this room is just uh, covered in corpses and gore. And the professor's put off by this before it's revealed that it's, uh, it's a hologram. Some, some more tech and stuff. And uh, it's, the implication is that a crime has been done here. And as they look at it, um, the professor realizes that this room is actually in the same style as a, as a temple. Um, something that he studies, except it's done with the graffiti and uh, junk metal and, and things like that rather than, you know, like an ancient stone temple, which is a very intriguing idea. Um, and there's also some more world building about how uh, sort of implying that no one really goes to the surface. The surface is where there's like scavengers and things and with this pouring rain and normally he's he's underground with everyone else. Um, but inside the mouth of this relief of a screaming face um is ahead of a person which is uh shocking but then it reveals that the skull of this that this head um has two robotic eyes in it and they said that they've they've got a witness now to whatever crime was here which is a really interesting way of um of setting that up yeah definitely so i think this story is really ripe with this sort of world building i mean uh i really like the the very first paragraph where we where we not only go into that this world has sort of cybernetics, but we're also going into how some of them cost less than than dirt, and and how the cost of dirt has 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 risen. So yeah, I just think it it starts off really great as sort of setting the the stage for this this world, um, and then you know as we progress further, we are getting some like really great moments of. Um, dialogue from this professor uh and again going deeper into this world building i i i love how this how this room of uh corpses is being de described on this sort of hologram and i think that that this story is just a really great setup for something that i can definitely see going further um so yeah a a a fantastic job and i loved it throughout really great job. yeah i love this sort of cyberpunk you know rain and and temples mm-hmm. and things it's it's really cool all right up next is by matt said words with the waltz of miss dawn so this is a sequel on uh, another story they wrote a bit ago the nocturne of miss lua and that's where um this uh what's the chauffeur uh brings um this uh, fancy lady to a bar where she uh, dances all sexily and then kills someone. And that's very shocking. Mm. Um, And so this is now the court case for that because she uh, killed herself afterwards. 
And uh, so the prosecution, which was a friend of Miss Lua, uh, has accused the bartender of sipping her uh, rohypnol and and causing her to kill someone in a murderous rage. And it feels a little flimsy, even as she describes and you know pours some emotion into it, because it's like, how did that? How did the rohypnol, you know, get her to actually murder someone? And that sort of is in mm-hmm. our heads as we go. But it does really seem that the bartender probably did this um she sets up a good case and then the defendant comes up and uh d- does some stuff to, to, to th- try to throw it out um and accuses miss Wa of being an alcoholic and being drunk and that being how why she turned murderous and it's kind of like neither of these these things being outlined really feel like the correct answer even though they're being argued really well and um, the whole time the the chauffeur from the original part is is here and sort of reacting to all of this. And we can really feel some of the emotion in some of this. Um, mm-hmm. But finally, the uh, court case ends and Dick leaves the the court where he gets a call from Jane, his um, ex-wife, um, who was uh, we kind of featured prominently in the last story as so- someone he remembers. And she sort of implies that um she was the one that slipped something in to the drinks and she had intended it for it to go into his drink um because her drink looked like his and it was a mistake that um miss law was the one that was uh that that got the effects yeah yeah so i really dug this this story it was a, a bit twisty it was a bit turny uh, but I just really enjoy this uh, di- this uh, dialogue. I mean, it, it, it feels like a uh, like a court case, you know, with the sort of diction that is that is being used uh, and these points. And uh, yeah, uh, you do a really great job at uh, setting up this this scene and really t- and really telling us why these these things do do matter. And yeah, I would agree that i can really feel the emotion i can feel being here so yeah i just think that this is a really that this is a really successful scene uh that links pretty well into the previous story uh without it having to do anything with that same character really so fan really really great job yeah i think it was uh, really well done those those arguments and I, I could um really feel what uh dick was feeling as he reacts to things well, all right, our last story for our first week is by Sarah Penguin with Multicolor Masquerade Mystery. Um, so here we, we sort of set up this sort of uh, secret society kind of uh, dinner with all these these fancy rich people. Illuminati. Yeah, kind of, um, or at least like a local Illuminati <laughs> um, where uh, there's a bunch of rich people dressed um, in, you know, masquerade masks um, and only referring to each other as... Um, the color uh, as lord or lady and the color of um their outfit basically lady green lady black uh that sort of thing but what has happened here is that there's actually been a murder just uh the other day i I think it's a little unclear on when the murder happened that's something that i I did want to know but the murder has happened and lady green or it seems like it's lady green is uh worrying and trying to figure that out but she goes and and goes to the bathroom where there is a servant there um who she has had some uh, affairs with before and she sort of flirts with the servant and and makes her fluster and uh lady red and lady green sort of discuss who it might have been that that murdered lady silver um when it could, we set up a red herring and Lord Purple, who's trying to be the new Silver, the leader. Uh, before finally we we go back to the parlor room, basically, uh, where 
um we sort of try to figure out who it was until finally we get our we get our twist which felt very satisfying to me where lady green our main character takes off her her mask and turns out she is actually lady silver and the person that got murdered in her place was lady green and um there's a sort of a fight about it um and uh, <laughs> lady red basically admits that she was the one trying to kill lady silver but uh she's just everyone's upset now because she actually meant to kill lady green and then finally um the actual lady silver uh leaves the room to be with um julie that that one servant that she's been uh having those affairs with which is also the daughter of the one that uh tried to kill her so a really complicated situation (laughs) definitely definitely But yeah, I think the story is really well controlled. I mean, it really has to be when it comes to setting up this uh, mystery. I love how it starts off with these questions like, "Oh, someone, someone's dead," and and they're trying to really, uh, and they're trying to really figure this this out. But we are also getting this really great description of this sort of like masquerade party. And the sort of and the type of people that um, really go to it, uh, and then later on, as as we learn more and more, there's just twists on top of twists on on top of twists. Which you know, in, in in other situations, this this main twist can be seen as messy, you know. But within this story, it makes perfect sense, and it feels very natural to a certain extent. So, yeah, I just think that this story has. Really great, really great con- control over the prose, over the uh, dialogue, and has delivered a really solid story. So great job. Yeah, I like it a lot. Well, all right, time to move on to our current week of stories, starting off with Ace of Sword with Stolen Moment. Uh, so here we have uh, Sarah Depine, uh, or Depine, um, the very you know fancy uh, French name. As she's uh, at a masquerade, so we have a lot of <laughs> we, we have a lot of um, you know things echoing, but even between both weeks, I, I think maybe there was a lot of um, echoes between mysteries and and loneliness. Um, but so she's at this this fancy party, and she's just so tired of it, you know, tired of of you know standing, tired of smiling. She sees her fiance, who is, doesn't seem tired at all, but it feels like she he he should be. Uh, but so she she puts up a, a fan to hide her face, finally just taking a moment to relax and then whispers a formula uh, or a spell that pauses time on the entire area. And it takes the implications of that it would take a lot out of her. But she goes to her bodyguard who um, we can tell that there's a lot of feeling and, and history there. So when that was raised on the streets and then given an education, uh, Mary and um Sarah takes her out of the the time lock and they're sort of together and Mary can't relax um, and Sarah can't rest either but together in this moment of stop time they go and find a couch and they cuddle a little bit to finally rest a little bit and provide something for each other and it's really really sweet yeah definitely I mean this is a very sweet and uh, romantic story and I do like the take on loneliness this story took I mean, in the beginning, it is made very plain that within the the moment that we start, Sarah is not very happy in that it seems like they are really looking for something else. And and I do like the 
addition of this sort of slight magic to where it doesn't seem that this world is like run on magic to a certain extent but uh it is something that's within the sort of sphere and i like how this magic is being is being used to get this very sweet moment and i love the uh the dynamic that sarah and uh mary do share so i mean so i mean overall this is a really well written story that uh makes my heart feel good yeah so great i thought it was really really sweet all right up next is by captain rhino with alone in a dried up lake so a bit of a of a dramatic um uh title there (laughs) Um, and so we start off here and it really, uh, we start off with, I am born in a laboratory. And as we go, it really feels like we are describing the birth and, and testing and construction of some biological monster, right? Some secret project, uh, that these scientists yeah. create that is going to be unleashed on the world, a cursed being, you know, like Frankenstein is kind of what it feels like, or something maybe more mechanical than, than Frankenstein, but something like that with parts added and, and tested and removed and things like that. And it feels very like nefarious. We have this statement here of um, the uh, scientists say that, you know, they're covered in protective clothing. And they say that they, um, that they, the scientists are the contaminants and that the clothes are um, for the, the protection of the, the subject rather than the subject, the protection of the scientists. They say they care, mm-hmm. uh, but I can't help feeling that they are afraid of me is what it says. And then it turns out that they're not trying to protect um, the subject from, from them, but where the subject is going from them, uh, from their contaminants. And so it's a really like intriguing setup that we do, that we have for all this until finally um, the uh, creature, whatever it is, is put into a rocket. Uh, It's given a, a small companion um, sent off to this barren wasteland with nothing but sand and rocks and sky, and it's alone. And they want to know what um, it sees. And then we, we cut back to Earth, uh, where someone is looking up at Mars um, and talking about how Perseverance is up there, the little rover uh, going to explore, um, trying to find out if there's life on Mars and things like that. And uh, the little girl that, that is talking there it says, good luck, Percy. And it's like rooting pers- <laughs> uh, perseverance on from all the way from Earth. And this is like really sweet, you know, idea to contrast with like the confusion and loneliness that this rover is feeling on the, the red planet. And I thought it was a really um, fun and, and interesting twist on that idea. This is, of course, a, the, the tragic idea that our rovers are confused and alone. Um, but also <laughs> that we are, you know, rooting for them and and that we really like them. We actually personify them a lot, so it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, I really liked the prose within this story. I mean, we were we were just talking about simpler prose and how they can be very e- effective. And I see within this that that these prose are are broken up. Some of the uh, lines are just one sentence long. But either way, it is still very effective in getting uh, at getting across these complex emotions that this rover is a feeling. Um, do like the twist of it being a, a rover? Because at first, yeah, I was thinking it was uh, some sort of scientific robotic experiment. 
Uh, but then, you know, reading further, you you like you like quickly realize, oh, this is a rover and this rover has some sort of some sort of sentience. So, yeah, it just sort of adds this like another layer to it. So, yeah, I just I just really like the personification being done here when it comes to this rover. But at the same time, it really does feel that this rover has this sort of sentience and it's. It's really saddening that this rover is so alone, uh, even though we put so much hope and and faith that it will find something. So yeah, I just think this is a really strong and uh, tight story, whose prose really does carry it throughout. So really great job. Mm-hmm. All right, up next is with Matt said words with three stories. Um, so this story actually did get me a bit emotional. Um, and this is sort of like where the, the, the idea of loneliness can really be used to a deep effect. So we open here. All sides. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so part one with isolation. And we have uh, Teresa in this really small apartment and she feels very alone. Um, and uh, we understand how this is a room in a nursing home and how she's been very alone for a long time in this, this nursing home. And her daughter, Victoria, said that it would be good for her and victoria you know is off really busy but she feels more alone than ever um and that it's it's really actually like really bad time and uh, so she picks up an ipad and it which she doesn't really like anyway but she really you know misses those calls and it's her birthday and uh she doesn't she hasn't gotten a call it's like she's been forgotten and that makes her very very sad um and it's the first she she looks in the reflection and says happy birthday old friend and they were the first words she had spoken in eight days which is just tragic so then we have part two and victoria the the daughter is uh in a fancy car but she's in the city she's like fighting traffic she's just trying to get home to her daughter um and she's been in that traffic for so long uh, and then she gets a call from her work calling her back to work and she's got to scramble for a solution you know call a second babysitter because the babysitter didn't you know wasn't um going to be paid to to be there that long and just um she's she's incredibly frustrated by this and finally she she calls and uh she talks to her daughter and says um i'll I'll have to leave you alone for a bit is that okay for tonight and her daughter doesn't complain or anything and just says you'll be um when will you be back and she says i'll be back in the morning and she just victoria sort of like breaks down for a moment she screams and she misses her mother she misses her hometown and friends she misses her daughter she just hates that she can't be with them right and it's like neither of them know how much she's struggling and how much she wants to be with them and she just Mm -hmm. even though the the reason that she can't be with them is on her end and then finally we have part three uh part two being named loneliness part three being named solitude and we have that daughter the the daughter victoria hannah and Hannah's alone, and um, the babysitter just leaving. Uh, she was okay, she's okay with being alone, but she did want help, you know, putting her science project together, which is what they were supposed to to do. And so she's a little disappointed, but she's not, you know, broken up over it. And she feels that she's okay with the loneliness, but she also, um, you know, reminisces of how she kind of misses her grandmother, um, who showed her some music that she really liked. Um, and then we have a, you know, a wonderful resolution here with, uh, she goes to, um, she's, uh, she uses her phone or, or an iPad, I'm not sure which one, and sees that it's her grandma's birthday. 
and she'd forgotten and probably her mom had forgotten and she feels she feels bad about that and she calls grandma and it looks like grandma was crying but everything's okay now and they have like a wonderful little little talk and they say that they miss each other and it's a f- nice way to finish off that loop mm-hmm. yeah so i love 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 the uh concept of this story i mean showing these different aspects of loneliness across these different generations is it's just really strong and i like how it is very different for each one of these people mm-hmm. how and and it's coming from different places how the grandmother is sort of reminiscing on how things used to to be on how the on on how the mother is trapped between what they between what she needs to to do and what she wants to do and and how seeing her a mother and being with her her daughter takes second place to to her her job but because of that she is being isolated uh and i really do like the um ending and it and it really did hit me because i mean i was always left alone as a kid and i did really you know miss your mother and you call up random people just 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 trying to talk but i think it was a really nice and sweet ending of the um granddaughter calling her uh grandmother and and how even though they're all lonely in a different aspect just that granddaughter reaching out seems to have to have made the um the grandmother's day so i think that yeah this is a really strong um story and i think honestly if you were to um to go back and uh and revamp this story it would be a great use of time because there is a lot that i can see being being said here so i mean overall it's it's a fantastic job and i really really loved it yeah i really like how um as you said they they are portraying you know different effects and and perspectives and um positions in in loneliness like the grandma is like not only is she very alone but she is also kind of like given up on continuing to reach out um mm-hmm. You know, she's probably gotten too many rejections uh, from her daughter, uh, her daughter being too busy. And then also she doesn't want to reach out with people at the nursing home because they keep uh, dying. Um, So she doesn't want to get attached. And um, so she's kind of given up on reaching out. And then uh, Victoria, the the mother, can't. um, She she just can't. She, She struggles with that. She really wishes that she could. She can't. And then the daughter... It's kind of like she doesn't realize how much um, she needs to be with people, but she does actually take the, you know, initiative in, in, in reaching out. Um, and that's kind of like maybe that that's, you know, a more optimal position to be in of like, even if you feel like you don't need it, knowing that that's what other people need. And um, yeah, taking that effort is it's really important. Definitely, definitely. So fantastic story, Matt. Matt said words. And up next is by Flower Priest with co-stars. I really like the story too. So, and and I, I actually, you know, skipping ahead a bit, this has sort of a a, a sadder ending, and I I think um, I really like that sadder ending actually. So uh, Trevor has uh, just gotten out of the shower, um, and uh, there's some like a bruises on him, and but he hopes he'll vanish in time for tomorrow's shoot. 
Um, but he he finally comes out, and Connor, his um, co-star, is on uh, the couch uh, texting, um, you know, laying down, kind of relaxed. And um, they you know talk a little bit, and there's a little bit of very very light like teasing and, and flirting, but it's very very light. Um, <laughs> everyone else is gone. The director has called for lunch, and so everyone else has gone to uh, to go eat. And Trevor says that they probably should go out too. And they sort of, um, you know, reminisce a bit and they, they talk about how it was a good scene. And we get the implication that what they do is they do porn. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's where, the, like, the light teasing comes from. But, you know, Connor has a boyfriend, so they're not, you know, they, they're just co-stars, right? And they don't have, like, even, like, a deep friendship. It's just basically co-workers. And even then, they don't work together that often. Um, they, more like friendship, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, they talk a little bit about, you know, what their families, you know, think of about this and, and things like that. Connor is texting his mother right then and Trevor can't really. Um, but Tr- Trevor starts to leave when Connor says that it's OK if you want to hang out um, until the crew gets back. And there's like a little bit of awkwardness, but like not that much. And they are friendly with each other. And Trevor is like tempted. He, he's really tempted to, to know someone. But there's like some jealousy of like. I think jealousy of like wanting to be with someone like like Connor, but who has a boyfriend, um, and being close to it is more painful than anything physical. And then he says, "No, it's fine. I really need to go. I'm shooting again tomorrow. Got to get ready." And so, kind of pushes away that opportunity to get closer to someone because it also is painful to get closer to someone. And that's sort of like a tragic, you know, flaw of, of someone to reject the 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 hands that people reach out to you so yeah this this story was fantastic and i think honestly it's because of the dialogue and just these sort of moments that that we are in i mean you can feel the um the wants of the um, of the main character but also the the reasoning behind why they don't uh take out uh take this sort of hand that is that is reaching out to them um and yeah i just think it it's a really great moment that is keying us into every other moment that happens out outside of this uh apartment there is like there's really great scope in everything that that they are saying and i mean overall i just really really enjoy how this loneliness is being portrayed um especially within this sort of industry you know um so yeah overall i just think it is really really strong and and i think this is definitely something that uh you should come back and uh work on more because i think it, it can definitely go somewhere so great job yeah i actually really like that the the way that the porn industry or at least how these actors are are in it is sort of shown of just like it's just another sort of job for them and there's some differences of like you get you know very close to someone and you know there's some complications with that um but for the most part it's it's pretty normal and yeah i I just very much like that of like not overdrawing attention to it but not hiding it either of what Mm -hmm. is what the story's about yeah definitely well, all right, our last story for this week is by Sarah Penguin with Man Eating Dragon. Um, so this is a <laughs> there's a really interesting opening here with um, this girl um, is swinging a sword, and we have some voices sort of 
uh, talking to her as as she's swinging the sword it says like haha you missed gotta try harder than that and she's like running around and um but we sort of slowly realize that she's not actually like play fighting with anyone it's just herself which to me was when she ran out to the hall she swings her sword she, she hits a pillar but it's on purpose it's just to spin her around because she's just she's just running around um cool. and um these voices are talking to her we don't know who these these people are who, who's talking to her um you know are they like little fairies or, or something or you know companions or what we're sort of grasping at what these things could be and we realize that uh she's inside this completely abandoned castle with like skeletons and everything's rotting and dirty and she's probably like naked right now um and just like not she's kind of a feral child sort of and um she hears something and it turns out there is a knight approaching and he's um uh approaching the castle she has to go get ready she doesn't want to put on any like fancy dresses because they are restrictive and she hates that um so she puts on like a loose dress because she can't actually be naked and we here we sort of realize that the voices are just in her head and we're still wondering of like what what does that mean you know what kind of what kind of voices are these um and the knight comes in and he's uh sort of talking to her and she's thinking about the rules uh, which is that the, the a knight has to be handsome and and worthy, and she kind of doesn't really know what either of those things mean. Um, and the knight is like mostly like an okay guy, but he's just very confused as to why there is no dragon here to kill, and the princess is <laughs> like barefoot and really dirty and talking kind of weird because she hasn't heard people speak; she's only read them in books for the most part. Yeah, so she takes him uh, to the bedroom where she has a book the book with that that talks about what you know there's supposed to be a knight that slays a dragon and stuff there's some funny like back and forth about how there's a lot of setup about how she doesn't speak like correctly she speaks more like how you would read something she misinterprets people's speaking um and her name her last name is is dragon apparently and so she's like a, a princess dragon but she's not an actual dragon either but anyway um he's like i need to take you away from here and marry you because then i can be king and don't worry well it'll be really good and he like describes a bunch of things that princesses do but it's not really something that she wants and so she decides nope he's not worthy and um as they sort of are are walking out the down the steps he's like where how did all those knights die and she's like oh they missed uh step um misstep and then dead and he's like, mm, it must be a trap of some sort, some sort of spring-loaded thing. And that's when she pushes him, and he misses a step on the stairs, and he falls, and he breaks his spine. Uh, just like all the other knights, they missed a step. <laughs> and that's sort of like a, a payoff on, on how she wasn't saying words right, and so we think it's going to be that in this, but no, she means it very literally. Um, and um, then she decides to uh, to eat him, as she has everyone else that that comes here. She's never had someone to talk uh, while she uh, to talk to her while she eats. And um, even though the knight couldn't feel his arms, uh, he still screamed as she bit into it. So fun story. Yeah, <laughs> very fun. I mean, I think I think the great setup here that's really taking its its time allows the twist at the end to really pay off in a uh, really great way and yeah i i just really really liked um how 
we start in this place of confusion in a sense we, you know with these sort of uh, disembodied voices coming coming in and out and just like trying to figure out exactly what is happening but as the story progresses we we get more and more scope and, and you know the beginning is uh, definitely teaching us in uh, some way that maybe we shouldn't trust this like main character but but beyond that we don't really get any reason not to so yeah it just all builds up to this really great payoff at the um, very end and uh, I know uh, as as soon as the knight came in asking these uh, asking these questions I I knew it was building towards something but I think uh, the reveal of of this um main character being the dragon or the person that uh, killed all of these knights was really well done and uh, handled very well so great job all around yeah um i think um there's so the, the the position of the knight i think is like very slightly confusing to me of like it, you know him being bad or good or like how much in between he is like what exactly like he seems to sort of understand that this is a weird situation but also doesn't fully accept that like she's not gonna just be a princess um uh-huh. like it seems like he, he he seems to understand that she's like not she hasn't grown up as a princess but still feels like he's just gonna treat her like a normal princess not like a not like a confused you know feral princess and not like a princess to be rescued but like in this weird sort of middle ground and so i think like you know putting him and um clarifying his his motivations a bit of like either going oh he's actually a good guy of like i'm gonna rescue you and then you're gonna be like a good princess and you know i'll clean you up and and take you out of this horrible place and stuff which i I think is what he's leaning toward Uh, or the other direction of like you are definitely not a princess but i'm still gonna take you out of here and then when i marry you i'll be king and that that's all that really matters to me um and sort of just like yeah, solidifying that that whole. I think I really, really would have loved that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but I still really like it in 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 this sense. Um, and that's just like a little a tweak. And I very much like the you know the, the the several twists, both of the like the wordplay twist and that she is the man eating dragon. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, really enjoyable. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, all right, those are all of our stories for this week, but we do want to give a big old do the right thing. Thank you to everyone who did submit a story. So, thank you very much to Matt Said Words. Thank you to Sarah Penguin. Thank you, Ace of Sword. Thank you, Captain Rhino. And thank you, Flower Priest. And we also want to say thank you to everyone who did leave two or more comments. Leaving comments not only helps you understand how you feel about your own story, but you're providing someone else with crucial feedback that can only make them and you a better writer. So thank you very much to Matt Said Words, Captain Rhino, Words on the Wind, Sarah Penguin, and Flower Priest. Thank you so much for leaving comments. Yeah, y'all are fantastic. I, I always love seeing the discussion under the, the the stories and things like that. It's always also mm-hmm. good, like, you read a story and then you see someone else talking about it and you're like, did I feel the same way as they did? Or, you know, maybe they understood it better than you did or, or vice versa. And um, that's really satisfying to hear. So, yeah, thanks for everyone who leaves comments. Definitely, definitely. If you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to do the right thing, you can do that by going on Reddit, by going to slash r slash do the right thing, 
all you have to do is sit down for 30 minutes and write a complete short story using three of four randomly generated words. That's right. And to see the words as soon as they come out, the best way to do that is to follow us on Twitter, which is at RightThingCast. You can also send us an email with your story or anything else you want to tell us, which is RightThingCast at gmail.com. Um, we uh, do plenty of wonderful things here at Doof Media Productions. Do, is production? I don't think productions is part of our name, but I don't really care. Doof Media Productions, <laughs> um, uh, where we uh, we're, we're covering a lot of stuff. We're, the Doofcast is finishing up their um, dissecting director series on Guillermo del Toro. They recently covered Pacific Rim, so there was a really great discussion mm. of like what works and uh, what doesn't in Pacific Rim, and I I really um, enjoyed that discussion by by Scott and Matt. Um, and I'm looking forward to, uh, the next, uh, the next, uh, movies that they, that they cover of Guillermo del Toro's. It was really interesting seeing the, the whole growth of it, the, mm-hmm. the whole way through. And of course, there's always so many other things going on. We know we have the game club, which is currently covering Hades. Um, we have, uh, our book club, which I don't remember what the book is this week, but I'm sure it's very, very good. And so much else. Definitely. Definitely. Well, all right. I think it's high time to roll on into next week's words. Don't you think? Sure. Cool. So next week's topic is dis is disaster. So we so we want you to write a great old story about any sort of disaster. You can take it literally and and you know have buildings falling and snow covering mountains and cities, or you can go a a little bit more non literal, maybe a. Maybe a relationship ends in disaster. Or or maybe there is a huge car crash, a 100-car pileup. Which happened. Something like that. Also, Which did happen yeah, in Texas. So, yeah, that's, this is, obviously this is in theme with, with what happened. We're, we're not just doing this in a super, like, we're, you know, people died and stuff. Um, and uh, so, like, this prompt is, like, not only... It's like you can take it any way you want and, and you could write, you know, a comedic disaster as well if you want. But just like natural disasters, especially, they do evoke a lot of different feelings in, in a lot of different ways. You know, there is like the um, awe-inspiring and, you know, sort of terrifying, overwhelming nature of, of natural disasters, right? Of just like kind of you're sort of helpless in it and there's nothing much you can do except wait it out. There's sort of like the feeling of having to survive through these things. Um, and then there's also maybe more hopeful feelings of like the moments that we that we find in them where we help each other or we comfort each other or we're just like in each other's presence and things like that. Um, like I remember during this, right, during, you know, big blackout and I'm like getting drunk in front of a, f- a fireplace because like what else am I going to do? <laughs> um, <laughs> where I was like, this would be so nice to, to you know, be with someone. And so I very much felt the theme of loneliness then because it was like this is such like mm-hmm. an opportunity, you know, of like to be in front of a fire uh cozied up with blankets and things like that and a little bit drunk like that would have been so lovely but of course no one was able to to reach me because the roads were frozen over so yeah and covered in ice (laughs) yeah so anyway um yeah i I think there's a lot you can do with writing about a uh, disaster any sort but i'm thinking of natural disasters um and the many ways that you can sort of take that prompt definitely definitely and to help you write this the words for next week are lock, warn, peace, and student. So uh, lock as in to lock or unlock something. So it can be a, mm-hmm. a, a tool used to make sure that you cannot open something or something can be locked in place, which is it's set securely so it cannot move. Um, 
or you lock in your answer basically yeah. a state of non-changing um, also it, it is a very popular last name that's true although i think that that's with an added e but i think that would be allowed <laughs> <laughs> uh warn uh which is to give someone a warning which is to god i'm really certainly not just using the word in itself warn. um <laughs> that it is it Tells someone to be wary of uh, something negative that may happen. Peace, which is uh, like the opposite of wartime when there is no conflict. Um, I think that's a time of pleasure, possibly. And contentment, and and no, yeah, I think especially no conflict. I think is the yep. Uh, and student, mm-hmm. which is someone who studies to learn more. And there's many different ways that that could be. Usually, it's under the tutelage of an institution or a person nice nice so what story are you going to write next week um so i'm gonna write a story about how um there once was a student uh writing uh, about the horrible things uh that were contained below the earth um and he read some stuff um and uh, uh it was a wonderful time of 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 peace um where these horrible things were locked down there but someone gave him a warning never to go down and even look at the door because then it would be let out and ruin everything and then he did that and it totally it sucked it was it was so bad and he, like all the bad stuff came it's like pandora's it was pandora's pandora's box it was, his name was pandora and he opened mm. he opened the box because it, it was locked but he opened it and the bad stuff came out it was really bad the end don't open don't open things don't do it all right nice nice you know what and that's a really good message um i think my story next week is going to follow a very similar path uh but instead of the lock being on pandora's box the lock is on the teacher's lounge you see at the end of every student's excuse me at the end of every student's senior senior year, the best thing they can possibly do is pull a good old-fashioned senior prank. And and in this small little town of Wichita Falls, in the great grand high school of Wichita State University, um, the senior council has decided to cover the entire teacher's lounge in tin foil and coffee grounds okay now now of course months be before this this happens the uh principal the principal warns the student body hey if you pull any sort of prank in your senior year we will withhold your diploma because that actually does something to high, to high school students. Okay. Um, but none of them listened to them, and they covered the entire lounge in, in tinfoil and coffee grounds, and someone even peed in there just because they could. Which, wow. which thus instilled a horrible, horrible time with, within this, this school where rights were taken away. Teachers were at war with their students. And honestly, there's no hope for peace anymore in this small town. Because no one will do the right thing. That's all, folks. No have a, have a right good... Thing. Don't freeze to death. I think it's over, though. But It um, is over. It's 75 degrees now. Oh, great. I love, I love that. I love how it's summer already. It's just... Yeah. Summer.